you know, I, I know at this point, you know, we'll turn and greet someone and, and then we kind of go on with what we're going to do. Um, can you just be seated for a, a little bit? Just, just sit. Um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, the Bible talks about the different gifts that we have and that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, He gives to each person according to their ability, different gifts. And we all have different gifts. Uh, we have different spiritual gifts, discernment, prophecy, the gift of knowledge. And when, we, when we're able to operate in that gift according to the ways of God, then it strengthens the body of Christ. Sometimes we think the gift is... is a super spiritual thing that we can't obtain it. And we think we have to do certain things in order for us to, to live in that gifting. And if, if we understand what that gift is and we move in that direction, following the Lord's leading, then the things we're really good at start to make sense but it's, it's to be used in the ways of God that you may have, let's just say you have a gift of discernment. You can discern. If not used properly, it, it can be used in a way of you read people well, but because you read people well, then you start to judge people. But if you use it for God, then when you use your gift of discernment, then you're able to see a hurting heart rather than judging someone. If you have the gift of knowledge, it's like God just brings things to your attention. And instead of using the knowledge against someone, you use it to lift them up. And as the body of Christ, we have these different gifts among the body. And maybe, maybe the Lord is speaking to us tonight, and I, I, I sense that he wants us to pause for a moment because we all have at least one gift. And with these giftings, God wants to use it for good. Some of us are here tonight, and, and maybe we came here tonight expecting something. We were saying, Lord, I'm going to set aside this time. I'm going to come to church because you're going to do something in my heart. Or maybe you came tonight because this is what we always do. And we're, we're going through the routine of attending church. Maybe we're at a place in life in this season that we just need Jesus. Or we're, we're, we're asking him, to build us up or to encourage us or to strengthen us or to build our faith, whatever it is. And whatever brought us here is really not the issue. The issue is he, he has us here. And it's, it's for a specific reason. And I, I think there's some of us here tonight that God is really, really, really calling you. And you haven't been taking him seriously. He's been calling you to, to serve him with your gift. And you've been putting it off. There, there has been reasons, but it's a new season. There's some of you here tonight that there, there's relational battles with, with family. And you're, you're waiting for the other person to make it right. And God says, if you want my strength to be shown in your family, I'm going to do that through you. 
You don't wait for them. You go first. And you make it right. Some of you, there are, the marriage is not where you want it to be, where you hoped it would be at this point in your marriage. But you're afraid of what's going to happen if you make this next move. And God says, just move closer to me. You don't have to fix anything. Just draw closer to me. And I'll do the rest. I'll heal whatever it is that's broken. You just draw close to me. Don't try to fix things. Just draw close to me. Some of us are wondering about our future and what that looks like. We're worried about health and, and our family, our children. And God says, you, you rest in my care. And you, you come to me. Some of you are, are battling financially and that's a struggle. And you've been tempted to do things that you know is not right. And God said, I will bless you if you stay close to me and you do what is right. You just stay close to me. I'll provide for you. It may not be how you want it, but it'll be the best thing for you in your future. And some of you are hoping for better days. And God says, when you come to me and you're weary and heavy laden, I will give you the best day of your life because it'll be with me. Your circumstances will still be the same. But the thing that will change is that you will be in my care and you will be in my midst. And when you're in my midst, everything else pales into comparison. Some of us have drifted from Jesus and we feel so far from him. And he just wants to let you know he's still believes in you. He has never stopped loving you. The plans that he has for you is still there. It's for your future so you can have hope. And Lord, what greater joy than to know that you are the head of this church, that you lead us, you guide us, you shepherd us. You mentor us. You shower us with your grace, your love, and your mercy. And you never give up on us. You died on the cross so we could be set free. Free from worry and free from what could be. Free from the way we think as human beings and to learn how you think. And so tonight, Lord, is your night. This is not time for us to be in church. You just want us to be the church in your presence. And for that, we are eternally thankful. There's a word that God wants to give to someone. It's called loosen. Maybe you've been holding on to something so tight and he says you got to loosen that grip. Just loosen it. Let it go. Grab onto me.
And with that, Lord, we just say amen to you. So be it. And we receive that. If you receive that tonight, can you just tell him thank you? Thank you for all that he does. And you can whisper it. You can say it in your heart. But Lord, we are thankful. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for your word. Thank you for filling us afresh and for giving us your joy. We trust you, Lord. We want to follow you. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 If, if God spoke something to you tonight, write it down somewhere. Write it in your Bible. Maybe a scripture popped into your heart. Write it next to that scripture somewhere. It's a promise from God. He's going to do something. And you watch what he does. And you let him do it. It'll be his work. It'll be under his power. Because it's all, it, it all comes back to who he is. We live in a world that falls apart. But when it does, God's people don't. Because he's the one that keeps us together. Amen. So if you, wanna, if you're, if you are taking notes, you want to write down a title. It's just simple. When Jesus heals. It's just that simple. That's what we're going to look at tonight. When Jesus heals. In the book of John chapter 5, if you want to turn there, we're going to look at a story and this is where a healing took place at a pool called Bethesda. And this pool wasn't just an ordinary pool. It was where they would have ceremonial washings. It was also a place where it was carved out of some nice stone where water springs would come up. So natural waters, uh, water would flow through it. So they would use it for healing. Uh, just like how, you know when you're, you have like a long day at work or something and you're just tired and then you, 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 think, you think to yourself, boy, wouldn't it be so great if you could just go to the spa every single day? Like someone would pay for that. And you could just, you could just soak yourself uh, with some, I don't know what you use, salts and things. Or I don't know what they put in the you know, bubble baths. Well, maybe if you're two years old. But you, you, you get healed. You can relax. You're in some, uh, uh, a nice environment. That's what these pools were for. It was for healing. And people would come there every so often, to find that kind of healing. And what we're going to look at is when Jesus healed people, it was more than just the healing. It wasn't about the actual healing, although he had compassion to heal. He was looking for, for the person's life and who, are they be, who they were becoming. So it wasn't necessarily about the healing itself. It was about the person's life and who they're becoming and, and, and all of their wholeness so when we hear the word healing, sometimes we think of a one incident that took place that someone was broken and then now they're healed. Someone couldn't walk and now they can walk. Uh, someone was blind, but now they can see. And that's a part of it. That's a, that's a small part of the actual healing. There's also places where he brought the dead back to life. And we can look at those situations and think to ourselves, wow, that's, that's amazing that he got to do that. And it is amazing. It's a miracle. But these people that were healed, these people that were raised from the grave, they eventually met death. They eventually went home to be with Jesus. The people that, that were healed didn't become superheroes like the person that we're going to read about when this person was healed it's not like he became wolverine it's not like he became like a a superhero that cannot die or cannot get hurt anymore 
He was still a human being. But the healing that took place was part of an entire healing that Jesus was looking for. See, all of creation, when, when we think of this word miracle, all of creation is, is confined and has to obey God's laws. That's, that's why miracle, when we say miracle, it's something that is not consistent with scientific laws and nature. So when we see that God has control over all of creation and a miracle takes place, then it's, it's almost as if God chooses to do something unusual that would never take place with just the natural laws of physics. Many miracles in the Bible seem to go against the laws of nature. And we're going to look at that in the next couple of weeks, the, the, the different miracles that Jesus performed. In fact, when he multiplied the fish and bread, I, I kind of thought of, wait a minute, did he multiply the fish and bread, like, like cut it up in tiny small pieces and pass out these little pieces to over 5,000 people? Because the Bible says there were 5,000 men. Now you include women and children. They estimate, scholars estimate that it was about 10,000 people. So you have five loaves of bread and two fish. You can feed 5,000 people by making tiny little pieces. And, oh, you just dip your finger and you can just taste it. That's all you're going to get. Two crumbs for you. That's it. But it wasn't. The, the Bible says it wasn't like that. The Bible says there are leftovers. So Jesus did something when a miracle took place. It wasn't, it wasn't according to our natural laws. So I looked up these two laws. One was the law of conservation or of matter or energy. The law of conservation of mass or principle of mass conservation states that for any system closed to all transfer a transference of matter and energy, the mass of the system must remain constant over time as system mass cannot change quantity if it is not added or removed. Hence, the quantity of mass is conserved over time. So you know when you're sharing food? The more you share, the less you have. That's what this law is saying. The second uh, law is the law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics is about the quality of energy. It states that as energy is transferred or transformed, more and more of it is wasted. The second law also states that there is a natural tendency of any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. Sounds like me as I get older. See, older. That's what I meant to say, older. But as I'm getting older... I don't know how to speak. So what the, what the law says is we degenerate. If you look at your lawnmower, it's not in the same condition when you first bought it. Your car, when you first bought it, it degenerates. But when Jesus did something, it didn't degenerate. When he did a miracle, it regenerated. And so this story we're going to look at, this miracle, goes against the laws of nature and what we know as scientific proof. That it goes even against science. And in John chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one was there, one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him 
lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Well, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, Well, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So here you have this man who was healed. Jesus follows up with him and says, stop what you're doing or else something worse may happen. See, when Jesus heals, it has really more to do with the person and their entire life and who they're becoming than the actual healing. So we're going to look at five principles that we can catch from this story. The first one is this. When Jesus heals, he sees you first. He sees you. When, when Jesus heals, he sees you. He doesn't, he doesn't just operate out of, oh, I have power, so I'm just going to deviate all of this healing power. I'm just going to, no. When we learn about his miracles, it was a personal thing. Now, I don't know why Jesus doesn't heal everybody. That we cannot answer. All I know is when Jesus heals, he sees the person. It's not like a, a, a random raffle that is being taken place. It's he sees you. There's a specific thing that is happening, and it's between Jesus and that person. And other people witness these things, and they're also moved by it. Others are maybe skeptical about it, or some people may just see it as something's wrong. But John, who wrote this book, wrote the book of John so that we would believe. That's why he, he wrote this book, is so that we would believe. And so as he's writing this, this story, he wants us to understand that there is this healing that took place. That when Jesus heals, he sees you. Think about it. Every healing that Jesus performed, although differences in whatever healing that took place, the common denominator was they were people. They were human beings. Jesus was moved with compassion, and he healed people. Jesus sees people. He has compassion for humanity, even till this day. This man was an invalid. He wasn't strong. He was weak. He suffered from a disease, or he was sickly. But Jesus heals more than the diseased, the sickly, the, those that are, are, are not feeling well. He heals the brokenhearted. That's what the book of Isaiah said. That he, he, he binds up the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted. That we put on the mind of Christ. So it's, it's more than just a, a physical type of healing because some of us, we may say, you know, yeah, my leg is sore, but I'm okay. I don't need God to heal me, although I would love that. That we can actually put, a, put aside other types of healing that Jesus wants to bring if we only think that he's going to heal on the physical side, 
which is great. Don't get me wrong. Healing on the physical side is great. About two years ago, I injured my, if you're, okay, I injured my foot. I was going to say my plantar, but if you don't know what that is, but if you do know what that is, then you know what it is. If you don't, my foot. I, I injured my foot, but it took so long for it to heal because I kept running on it. And so that tendon stayed damaged, and I prayed every day, prayed, Lord, help me, because it was so irritating. Help me, help me, help me. Please heal me. Please heal me. Day after day, please heal me. And it's almost like after a while, Jesus said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, but you keep running on it. And, and thank God today I'm good, but sometimes we want him to do something, but then he's saying, okay, then stop. I see that you're well now. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What he's saying is if you want me to do something, you've got to stop what's causing it. That if you're continuously going in the opposite direction of me, then coming back, then going in the opposite direction. I want to help you. I really do. I want to heal you. I want to do great things. But you got to work with me. Jesus found him at the temple and said to him these words. Jesus sees us. He sees you. When Jesus heals, he sees you. The second thing is that there is a place of healing. That there is a, a, a place. At this, this place was the pool of Bethesda. It was a place, a specific place. You know where I felt healed? At the boys club when we used to be there before this building was built. That's where I found healing. That's where I found wholeness. When I came to know Jesus, it was on a Father's Day. And I had my son when I was 15. Heidi was 16 years old. And so we were teenage parents. And I was on Oahu. She was here on the Big Island. And I, I needed to graduate in order for me to move up here. So finally, I was already planning to move up, and Heidi's dad said, well, the only way you can move in is if you go to church. Now, I wasn't going to church, and I thought, I hate church. I'm not going to go to church. He said, well, if you don't go to church, you can't move up. And so I thought, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to move up, and then, you know, it's like, oh, I get a headache today. Oh, I get asthma. I cannot breathe. I cannot go to church. Uh, I tried to think of any excuse, and he said, no, if you, if you move in, you have to go to church. So I went to church, and... Something was different. Like I, I stood in a place that, yeah, some people looked weird and did weird things. And I'm like, why are they all hugging each other? Why we got to hold hands? Why are they raising their hands? What are they doing? Like, what kind of songs is this? What, what, what are they talking about? Death and the grave is spooky. So I'm thinking, what, what is this all about? But as the word of God was opened, then it opened my eyes, opened my heart. And then on a Father's Day, because I related to being a, a young dad, as well as my dad leaving us at, I was age seven when my dad left us, and he passed away when I was in the 11th grade. So Father's Day was something significant to me. That was my place of healing, Father's Day, in a gym that became church to me. Now, you may have a place of healing. Maybe, maybe when God first spoke to you or touched your heart, there was a place for you. Every, everyone is going to have a place of healing. Maybe your place of healing is maybe in the morning you get up, you, you sit at your, your, your dinner table or your, wherever you're going to be in, in the morning, and maybe you're drinking some coffee or some tea or you're getting ready. Maybe it's, maybe it's on your way to work. Maybe it's your drive. Maybe it's your quiet time. Or maybe you need a place of healing. Maybe it's here. Maybe you come to church, and this is where you find healing. You find restoration. But can I tell you this? It's not the place, really, that brings the healing. It's, it's, it's Jesus. But when Jesus heals, there is a place of healing. 
But the place doesn't bring healing. It's just a place where he heals. And every single one of us will have that place. And if you don't have that place, find a place. And if it's here at church, then, then this is where Jesus heals. It could be in your quiet time when you open up the word of God. It could be in your prayer time. Find that place of healing. This, this pool of Bethesda actually is called, it, it really means the house of mercy or the house of grace, which is what I would, I think this is what our church represents. That I would love for this place to be the house of mercy, the house of grace. For when, when people come here, they feel welcome. They feel the love of God. They feel that we as believers are Christ-like, not just because we're in a church setting, but because we're believers in and out of this setting. That even when we're out there in the world, that we're still representing Jesus just as much as we would represent him here. That we become the house of grace, the house of mercy. That's what this pool represented. And when this man went there year after year, think about it, 38 years he's been like this. Year after year. Did he find mercy? Did he find grace? I'm sure the people there were gracious. I'm sure they were loving. I'm sure maybe, I don't know if he had family members. Didn't seem like he had family members there. So maybe he didn't experience grace and mercy amongst his close, maybe relatives or his friends. Because he says, no one, no one can help me into the water. In other words, this, this guy was alone. Imagine for 38 years. Maybe in the beginning his friends brought him and by the time they got there, too many people and when the angel stirred the waters, the first person that got in was supposed to be the one that got cured. And he could never get in. I pray that this is a place that God would say, I, I want you to experience my grace through my people and my mercy through my people. Because it's so easy for us, and I, and I, I get like this too. I, I get so, you know... Uh, uh, tunnel vision and, and narrow, not narrow-minded, but you're so task-oriented and you need to get from point A to point B, but you forget that there's also other alphabets all around the place and it's people. And maybe we should go from point A to point Z and in between say, good evening, how are you doing? Hi, I'm so-and-so, nice to meet you. I think we, we're in a church. Right now, we maybe, I don't know, 200 people right now. I wonder how many people we actually know. And this man, for 38 years, he was going there. No one helped him into the pool. You may feel like sometimes there's no healing in your life or your heart or your mind or even your spirit, but Jesus shows up. This man was going there for 38 years, and then all of a sudden, here's this man asking him, do you want to be made well? I can, I can imagine the sarcasm that could go through our mind. Like, do, do, do I want to be made well? Do, okay, let me, just, let me just tell you, for 38 years, for 38 years, I've been like this. And you're, you're asking me if I want to be made well? <laughs> Who do you think you are? Are you kidding me? I've never seen you before. I've been here for 38 years. I know all of these people. But you're asking me if I want to be made well? No, I like go home. Ah, why am I here? Like I can hear the sarcasm that can come out. But he doesn't, he doesn't say that to Jesus. What he does is he actually gives Jesus an excuse. 
I'm sure he knows Jesus wants him to be well, but, but he doesn't answer Jesus back with a yes or a no. Do you want to be made well? It's a simple, absolutely, I want to be made well. Do you want to be made well? No, I'm tired of this place. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I feel rejected. He could have gone either way, but instead he says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. That's not the question that Jesus answered, uh, asked. He said, do you, do, you, do you want to get well? I have no one to help me into the pool. In other words, we, we all have our reasons and excuses when Jesus says, I want to make you well. Or if he asks the question, do you want to be made well? Instead of us saying absolutely and follow up with whatever Jesus asks, sometimes we say, well, you know, if, or I do, but. And Jesus says, that's not the question I'm asking you. I'm asking you a simple yes or a no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So when he asks this man this question, he gives him the reasons why he's not healed. Because he, here's the third thing. When Jesus heals, we first encounter obstacles. We're going to encounter obstacles. It's not going to be easy. 38 years, this man was like this. For 38 years, looking for healing in the stirring of the waters. And every year he came by. Every year. But then this one year was different. There were obstacles. He couldn't enter the pool. Maybe in his condition, he, was, he just couldn't get there in time. He couldn't run like people ran. He had, to, he had to get there in his timing. There was no laws that said, okay, you're going to have to make this path like we have ADA accessibility. We didn't, they didn't have that. It was first come, first serve. Well, when he came, he, he was not first. But then Jesus shows up and sees him. Imagine, imagine if that principle stayed in the way Jesus operated, that whoever came first would be healed. Like, if, let's just say it was in a church setting, and Jesus said, whoever comes to church first is going to have the healing. Our, our doors would be, it would be lined up with people. People would be camping outside waiting to be the first just to get in. Imagine if that were so, yet for some reason, Jesus sees this man. And maybe it's possible that we're able to let Jesus see us even if we're last or in the middle or somewhere on the end. That maybe, maybe like this man, for some of us, we, we come to Jesus on our own timing. In, in the way we've come to him, how, however that happens. It may take years. It may take months. Maybe an incident happened, and it, it brought us straight to Jesus, whatever it would be. See, I, I picture if, you, if we were to stand in line to wait for Jesus, and we're kind of like looking like, oh, I'm like number 38. Like, oh, I, I, can't, I can't wait that long. I'm, I'm wondering if, if Jesus is so much more compassionate than we think he is. That it's not necessarily waiting in line for Jesus to do something great. He's just great, period. He doesn't need to do anything great in order for us to understand his greatness. But how do we, how do we get to him if, 
if there's a whole bunch of us, how does that happen? Well, if, if we all, let's just say we're in a single foul line waiting for Jesus. This is what Jesus does. He, he moves according to the way he moves, according to his timing. And all he does is he steps out of that line and he comes right beside us. And then we all turn and face him. Now you're no longer in line. Everyone is first. And when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, he's speaking to you as an individual. He's not just throwing that out for people. He's saying, I'm here. You don't need to wait for me. I've always been here. You're not second class. You're not lower than. You're, you're valuable to me. You're important. I love you with all my heart, and I'm right by you. You just got to turn and face me. Don't need to wait for someone else. Don't wait for the other person. Don't wait for circumstances to change or, or things to get better. You just face me. Come close to me. You watch what I do because I'm the one that heals. When Jesus heals, we first encounter obstacles. And this man had some obstacles. People were in the way. Sometimes people get in our way. And Jesus says, don't fix your eyes on people. Fix your eyes on me. I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. Yeah, but you know so-and-so. Yeah, I know that too. Yeah, but do you know what they did to me? Absolutely, I know that. But you, you keep your eyes on me. And when Jesus heals, here's the, here's the fourth thing. It's according to his timeline. This man was in that condition for 38 years. But he stayed faithful to come back again and again. He stayed, he stayed the course. 38 years. When Jesus heals, it's according to his timeline. His timeline. Now, when Jesus healed this man according to his timeline, and this man got healed, I'm sure it was worth those 38 years coming again and again and again. His faithfulness is what Jesus saw. You know, I think sometimes, you know, we, we all get challenged with this. I've, I had, I've had so many uh, instances where I could have bailed out and just say, you know what, Jesus, I'm done. You know, I'm done. I'm not going to, I can't do this anymore. It's just too hard. I don't, I don't see your promise coming to pass. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been so faithful. I've been serving you. I've been doing this and that. But you're not doing this for me, so I'm out. I'm, I'm going to leave church. I'm going to go do something else. I'm, 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 I'm out. I can't take this anymore. So-and-so hurt me. I can't understand what's going on. And so I, I don't, I don't want to be around Christians. And, and so I have all these reasons. But the one reason that keeps us going is his faithfulness. For 38 years, this man kept going. And when Jesus' faithfulness met this man's consistency of faithfulness, a miracle took place, and this man received it. It's according to his timeline. This man had a hard, long, dragged-out, difficult life. And when he came to Jesus, that all seemed to disappear. And when, when John was writing this, it's kind of like he wants us to know that it doesn't matter how long we've been in that condition whatever condition it is or whatever mindset, he wants us to know that there is still hope. No matter how long you've been praying for so-and-so, some of you are praying for your marriage, your husband, your wife, your children, your long-lost child or a parent that has gone astray, whatever it is, you've been praying and praying and praying, and Jesus is saying, just stay faithful. I'm doing something that you don't see. Just stay faithful. I see you. I see what's happening. You just stay faithful, and you watch what I'm going to do. 
Some of us are, are part of a, 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 maybe a, a mind that thinks a certain way. And every time Jesus wants us to change our mind, we do it for a little while and then we go back to our old ways or, or there's an addiction. Or maybe we, we, we're just, we're people who are just hard-hearted and we want to get better. We want to change. And, but there's, there's so much hurt and pain. And, and by the time we come to Jesus, we're wondering, can you do something with this? Can you do something with me? And this man, for 38 years, kept going. And Jesus showed up. And that quickly, everything that this man was hoping for was done according to his timeline. 38 years. I have a hard time. Six days. I have a hard time. Two months praying for something. A year and a half. 38 years. Let me ask you this question. I want you to ponder on this, and then we're going to go to our, our, our fifth point. The thing you desire the most that you've been praying for, it could be someone coming to know the Lord. It could be a, a change in life or, or something. Are you willing to wait 38 years? Now, I know some of you are doing the math. 38 years, I'm going to be dead. Well, then you'll be with Jesus. Everything will be good. So that's a miracle, too. That'll work. However, here on this earth, maybe not 38 years, maybe 10 more years. Would you be willing to wait 10 more years? Would you be that faithful to Jesus knowing if Jesus said in 2026, your, your miracle will come to pass, would we wait 10 years? Could we be that faithful to the Lord? Or what if he said this, and this one is a, this is a tough one. We, we, we got to think this through. If he said, what if your miracle is just coming home to be with me in heaven and experiencing eternal life and being there with me for all of eternity. Is that enough for you? Is my grace sufficient? This man, for 38 years, stayed faithful, not knowing if, if this would actually happen. But because of that, we understand that Jesus, when Jesus heals... Here's the fifth thing. He wants us to know that it was him. That's what he wants us to know. When, when Jesus heals, he wants us to know that it was him. That glory goes to him. It wasn't because of a church, a pastor, something someone said to you. It may have sparked something, but ultimately in the end, Jesus wants us to know when he heals, he wants us to know it was him. In whatever form or fashion it, it came about, Jesus wants us to know that when he heals, he wants us to know that it was him. This man saw for decades others get healed. He saw for decades that people got into the water year after year and was possibly cured from whatever disease they had or sickness. He saw this year after year. And maybe he felt like, I missed it. Every year, imagine that, for 38 years, I missed it. Too late. I missed it again. Too late. I missed it again. And I wonder if even in our lives, there are certain things that we feel, oh, I missed it. Oh, I, I messed up here. Oh, I, I did this wrong and oh, I missed it. Or we say this, I messed up bad. I, I, I did such a horrible thing. I regret. I shouldn't have done that. I knew better. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I did better. I should have known better. And we go through all of these thoughts. But still Jesus heals restores. He still brings to life. 
this man felt pretty disappointed. Out of the, the five uh, colonnades, they had all of these different pools. I can imagine as Jesus was walking up to these five pools, how many people were there? I know there was a crowd. The Bible says there was a crowd of people. But even in that crowd, just think about all the people that needed healing. And Jesus chose this guy. I pray that tonight, amongst the crowd, you would see that Jesus chooses you. Every single one of us. He sees you. He just wants you to know that it's him doing this. He's going to bring the miracle. He's going to bring the healing. And as we let him do what he's going to do, we're going to find out that in the end, the faithfulness of us coming to him will be worth it. It'll be so worth it. Amen. And close your Bibles. Put away your notes. I'm going to ask Glenn to come up to the, or Grayson to the keyboard. You know, I, I want to just close with using our imagination with this place. And when we, when we can kind of vision out what this looks like, a crowd of people and Jesus coming up to this crowd, that this man is there, not, you got to imagine, he's not, he doesn't see Jesus, but Jesus is looking. And as Jesus is coming up to these five porches, as he's walking up, he's, he's, he sees the first porch and he's saying, okay, it's not what I'm looking for. Can, I, there's, there's, there are people that are sick, not doing well. But he, he, he keeps going. And he's looking and he's looking and then he goes to the second porch and then the third and fourth and Finally, he sees this man, and, and, and maybe it was because he was faithful for 38 years. I don't know. It's just a story that John wrote down. And we got to remember, the Bible also says there are so many other things that Jesus did that there would not be enough books or libraries to contain them to write down everything that Jesus did. So all the miracles and things that we read about Jesus is a tiny percentage of what he actually did. Much more things, and many more things that he did. So he sees this man, and, and as he comes up to this man, this man doesn't know who Jesus is. He still didn't know after. When they asked him, you know, you're not supposed to be carrying your mat. It's the Sabbath. The man said, well, the man who made me well said to me to pick up your mat and walk. The man Some of us know Jesus just as the man, Jesus. We may not know him as the Messiah, the Savior, the healer. But I'm sure after this, this, this man slowly got to know who Christ was because as Jesus continued on in his ministry, this healed man saw Jesus heal people. And when you're able to come to a place of understanding where you can say, wait a minute, this is who Jesus is. That he, he heals the brokenhearted and he brings us to life. And you may feel like that, that man who was for 38 years maybe felt alone or rejected or whatever it would be. And, and then Jesus comes up and asks you the question, do you want to be made well? 
It's amazing, no matter what our answer is, he'll still give us something to do. Pick up your mat and walk. Just get up, pick up your mat, and walk. In other words, Jesus is going to tell us to do something we don't think we're able to do. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. You know that man's mat, that bedding that he had, was something he's, he's been lying on for 38 years. It was comfortable. That was what he knew. It was part of his life. That was his comfort mat. And Jesus said, whatever you've been resting on could have been a belief system. It could have been, you could have been resting on someone else. You could have been resting on your own self-image. You could have been, you could have been resting on just hoping. He says, whatever that is, just, just pick that up, get up, and just go. Don't let whatever it is that's been holding you down hold you down any longer. Maybe you've been lying on some dreams. That's been your mat. He says, pick up that dream. Start walking with it. You keep going. Because when Jesus heals, all we need is Jesus. Grace it. He'll do the rest. Grace it. Stay faithful to him because he'll always be faithful to us. You pray with me. Bow your heads for a moment. Lord, in in your faithfulness, we learn faithfulness. At this pool, Lord, uh, they they would find healing there because the the angel of the Lord would stir the waters. And, And tonight, Lord, you're stirring our hearts. You're speaking to us. And you're showing us that you still heal. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what you did that day at the pool of Bethesda, you're still doing today in the pool no, of our hearts. On the that when we come to you and we, we understand that you're the one that heals, then there's nothing we cannot come to you with. And at the same time, you give us instruction to get up, pick up our mat, and start walking. Do the impossible. But then you follow up with us and you ask, or you even let us know, you got to stop what you're doing or else something worse may happen. In other words, you so love us that you also warn us and prepare us for what may happen because you see a future and a hope for us. So, Lord, our prayer tonight is to say thank you. Thank you for being the healer. Thank you for being the one that sees us. That we're not lost in the crowd. We're not lost in this world. But you give us hope far beyond our imagination. We thank you for that. We pray this in your name, Lord, the miracle maker. And we all said together, amen. Can we welcome up Bunny and and Chad as they close us up? Thank you, Pastor Sheldon. Thank you, Pastor Sheldon. I'm like a crybaby just now. You know, when he was talking about the mat, I know you can relate because... You know, my mat of comfort was I thought when I said yes to Jesus and when I thought I I said yes to serving and I was giving God everything, my mat was I thought nothing bad would ever happen. I thought nothing would ever happen to 
my children or to myself. And I remember my place of healing was on an Aloha Airlines flight as my son was being medevaced to Kapiolani. And I remember being on that flight and my husband and I making the choice. I was angry with God. I said, I serve you with everything I have. How can you do this to me? It's so easy for us to shift and blame God when we don't have that understanding. And my husband and I, at that moment, in our window seats, bawling my eyes out, and all of a sudden, healing came. And the place was in my heart and in my mind when I said, I will serve you no matter what. And I am grateful and thank, thankful that we got to, we are his parents. And that in that faithfulness, God meets you where you're at. He meets you where you're at and he says, allow me to be the God of miracles. Allow me to show you my power. And even though we may not think that the miracle may not come for me, I'm very thankful that my son was healed and is with us today. But there are so many times where we have these high expectations and God's just saying, are you faithful? Are you willing to to just say, I will serve you no matter what? It's so good. And we get reminded that God is a God of miracles and that for 38 years, I don't know how many of us can just say, well, you know what? My husband's not changing. My kid's not changing. Are you going to be faithful with just praying and knowing that his miracles will come, and it may not come in the way we expect, but expect a miracle anyway. You know, and um, Pastor Sheldon talked about finding that place of rest. I thought when I first started coming to church and I started to get to know Jesus, and for me, my place of rest was realizing that how real and how personal Jesus is and that it's about a relationship with him. And so I started to learn by being in a word, doing devotions, going to small groups and being with people who love Jesus and then serving in a church. And I found that when I'm in this kind of environment, I'm intentional to be with him, that I would get to know him more and I would have that passion for him. It's so good. Why don't we stand as the body of Christ? Why don't we, can we get to have the worship team come out and join us? Because we're going to solidify the word by praising God tonight as the family of Christ, as the fa- body, the church. And we get to know not just the man, but also the Savior. So, Lord, we just thank you again for this night. Thank you for your miracles. And thank you. It is an honor. As you never, ever fail us, you will always be faithful. And in that, we can be faithful as well. Amen.